Tonight I'll be uh, speaking on out of the letter of 1 John. If you would turn there, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. So last week um, we discussed heavily the sinfulness of mankind in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Um, how we as humans in our natural state and existence hate and reject God. We fall short of the perfection required to receive eternal life. And therefore, we are under condemnation and storing up wrath for ourselves. Uh, I mentioned God's God's judgment is coming against all unrighteousness of men. But God, the good news, who is rich in mercy, has provided a way for men to be saved and be freed from this condemnation. And be saved from God's wrath. This way that I'm referring to is Jesus. And he has come and lived a sinless life and died the death we deserve Jesus sacrificed his life so that those who will believe in him will have everlasting life, will have true joy, and will not experience this condemnation. Those who put their faith and trust in him will be saved and will have eternal life. But this week I want to uh, transition into the book that we'll be studying for the remainder of this year of refuge. Um, 1 John. John wrote this letter uh, for multiple reasons, uh, which he states plainly throughout the letter. The first reason he gives for writing this letter is to promote full joy. Second, he writes to prevent sin. Third, to protect us from false teachers. And lastly, he writes to provide full assurance of salvation. My prayer for us this year is that these things would become a reality to us. That we truly would find ultimate joy in Christ that we would desire Christ and holiness more than the fleeting pleasures of sin. My prayer is that we would understand and know true doctrine that will keep us from falling into other false doctrines or being led astray from the truth, and that we would have full assurance of salvation, and that we would rest and hope in the finished work and the promises of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word would speak life into us. I pray, Lord, that Christ would be our goal. He would be uh, our joy and our true love. I pray, Lord, that you would um, protect us from the enemy tonight. I pray you you would uh, protect us from distractions. and I pray that seeds would not be uprooted and taken away, but they would be thrown and planted in good soil and would produce much fruit. I pray you would help me and speak through me, Lord. I pray that this, uh, you would illuminate the scriptures to us, Father. I thank you and love you in your name. Amen. So 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So from this text, 
I see three important things that I want to address tonight. Number one, that is Christ who is the word of life being manifested. I'm going to talk about what that means that he has, uh, that God has become man, manifested in the flesh. I want us to understand the significance of this manifestation and what is accomplished for us who are in Christ. Second, I want to explain the full joy that can be found in Christ. And then lastly, I want to end uh, with a challenge and encouragement. I want to describe what fellowship in the body looks like, and I want to encourage you to invite others into this fellowship that we have with the Father and His Son. So first, we we want to know Jesus' manifestation. Uh, the The first thing I want to do is bring our attention Uh, So the first thing that John says in this letter, that which was from the beginning. Jesus has always existed. He was with the Father before the foundation of the world. This term, from the beginning, is used three other times in Scripture. One being the first sentence in the Bible, in Genesis, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The term is used to describe the beginning of creation in Genesis We also see this phrase in Mark 1, verse 1, which tells us the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we see this phrase in John's gospel, who wrote, the author who wrote the letter of 1 John, he also wrote the gospel of John. We see that in verse 1, 1, where he reveals that the Word is God, and there is, that the Word is God, and was there at the beginning before the foundation of the world. But here in our text for today, we see that John reveals that the incarnate Son became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. John emphasizes the physical presence of Jesus on this earth. He repeats his, his first-hand encounter with Jesus in the first couple of verses of this passage. They heard Jesus, and they saw Jesus, and they touched Jesus with their hands. But why does he say all this? He says this because there are many doubters in John's age and in ours today that deny the manifestation of Christ. Some say he doesn't exist at all, to which John would say, I saw him, I heard him, I lived and did life with him. Others might say he appeared only in spirit, resembling a man. He wasn't actually a man, he just resembled a man. Again, John doesn't want to leave uh, anyone with these types of conclusions, so he confirms that he also touched Jesus. John wants his readers to know that the manifestation, manifestation of Jesus was real, and that he really became flesh and dwelt among them. My first point I want to give, in my first point, I want to give an explanation of this manifestation. I want to show you how, exact, or show you how exactly what I mean when I say Christ took on flesh and became a man, and what Jesus means when he uses the term made manifest. So what is manifestation? What is this manifestation? By its very basic meaning, is Jesus Christ, who is God, becoming a man like you and me. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He took upon himself human flesh. Christ had two natures, one divine and one man. This was not a 50-50 split, nor did Jesus lose any of his deity or godness when he took on human flesh. Let's take these two nat- I want to take these two natures one at a time. First, I'm going to talk about human his human nature was really human. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus, who is the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit through a virgin named Mary. 
Jesus experienced life like we do. He grew up and he had real human qualities. He hungered, Matthew 4, 2. He needed a drink and was thirsty like we do, in John nineteen twenty eight. He experienced exhaustion, it says in John 4, verse 6, like we do. He experienced sorrow and anguish like when Lazarus had died in, in the garden and like in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was limited to time and space. He could not be in two places at once in his human form. He had a human body, a human mind, and a human soul. He had relationships with people like we see, like we see in the passage with uh, John and the other disciples. He could, he could and does taste death like us. He was even tempted and tested with sin like us today, yet he did this without sin. We see that Christ was and indeed is fully man. John says later in this letter and, and in 2 John that to deny Christ as a man is to follow the spirit of the Antichrist. We see that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is 100% man. But the Bible also teaches that he is 100% God. Which leads me to my next point, divine. Or not my next point, my next sub-point, divine. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is God. Jesus has the divine attributes of God. He knows everything, Luke eleven twenty seven. He is everywhere in his divine being. We see this in Jesus' last words to his disciples when he says, Behold, I am with you always. He has all authority and power which has been given to him, Matthew eight twenty eight eighteen. Jesus rules over everything. Even the wind and seas obey him by the command of his voice. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Revelation 19.16. We see his divine nature most clearly in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. And the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Thomas called Jesus, my Lord and my God. When, we saw, when he saw Christ after his resurrection. Also in Titus 2 verse 13, it says that we are, wait, we are waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, I and my Father are one. Hebrews 1, 2-3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. It is clear to us throughout the scriptures that Jesus is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. Now you may say to me, that's great, I get it, but why does that matter? What's the big deal? It matters because Jesus is who he says he is. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we must obey him. And he must be ruler over our lives. Jesus Christ is the stumbling block. John Piper nails it right on the head when he talks about Jesus' manifestation being a stumbling block. He says... It's not the mystery of a divine and human nature in one person that causes most people to stumble over the doctrines of the Incarnation. The stumbling block is that if the doctrine is true, then every person in the world must obey this one particular Jewish man. He goes on to say, The stumbling block of the Incarnation is that when God becomes a man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. We no longer do our own thing. We must do what this Jewish man wants us to do. This is a powerful truth. When God took on human flesh, mankind must now obey this man, Jesus, to inherit eternal life. 
Jesus sets the rules. Because Christ is who he says he is, namely God in the flesh, this makes his words way more meaningful and with great significance. Jesus becoming man has serious implications, which I want to further address. The question I'm trying to answer is, for what purpose did Christ come in the flesh and live and die? Christ came ultimately to glorify the Father, to bring to light or manifest God's glory to us. Christ has come and lived a sinless life so that he could become our merciful and faithful high priest who intercedes for us with the Father, Hebrews 2. He lived a sinless life and died so that our debt is paid for. And he gives us the required perfection demanded by the Father. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus' life purchased our faith. His his perfect life was lived so that we can receive his righteousness. Romans 3, 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, verse 21. This is why the incarnation matters. If we put our faith and trust in Christ, we will inherit Christ's righteousness and live for eternity in everlasting fellowship and everlasting joy because his blood has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. This brings me to my next point. This joy that John speaks about is full joy in Christ. He writes of of this incarnation and writes this letter so that their joy and ours will be complete. There is a joy to be had in Christ that is way sweeter than anything this world has to offer. This joy is only found in Christ. We all as humans have a longing in our souls for ultimate happiness and rest and joy. We search all over the world for this joy, but only in Christ's work and life will this joy be found. Jesus says that if you obey his commands, you will abide in his love. And he said these things so that his joy would be in us and that our joy may be full, John fifteen eleven. We who believe have Jesus' joy in us. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. This joy that we have in Christ is inexpressible and filled with glory. It caused the man in the parable I mentioned last week to sell all that he had. This parable comes from Matthew thirteen forty four, and it says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure that a man finds in a field. And out of the joy of that treasure, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. This joy and love for our Savior moved Paul to say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who in here is willing to say to die is gain? Leaving behind all these worldly pleasures would be gain. Whether that be sports, good food, friends, family. Who is willing to say that leaving all this behind would be gain because of Christ? In Psalm 43, verse 4, the psalmist calls God his exceeding joy. This joy in God our Father exceeds all other joys. There is ultimate joy to be had in Christ for those who believe. The God of our hope has filled us with joy so so that way we may abound in love. 
This moves us into my final point. Fellowship. John uses this word fellowship four times in this letter. And they are all found in verses 3 to 7. John wants his readers to experience this true joy. We spoke of in the fellowship of Christ and his father. And enjoy this fellowship with other believers as well. In this last point I want to explain this fellowship that is made available and challenge you to invite others into this fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship here is koinonia. It speaks of sharing in common something of great significance and importance. This word describes the joy and oneness in a group of people with common values, beliefs, and goals. Meaning we love and find our end in the same thing. This is exactly what kind of relationship we as believers have in Christ. He is our goal. He is our end. And he is our love. We have the greatest treasure in common that is to be had, namely Jesus Christ. This fellowship is an intimate relationship with Christ and our Father, along with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This fellowship is found in the church body, to which Paul tells us to grow as one body, building itself up in love. We are, we as a church, are one body and one spirit, and we are called to one hope through one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Paul urges us to have the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We love one another as we love and know Christ's love for us. This fellowship causes us to view others as more significant than ourselves. The foundation of our fellowship is Christ and his love for us. Christ is the head and we are the body. This body and fellowship helps us overcome the evil one. We must take care and look out lest there be in any of us an unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from the living God. This fellowship exhorts one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This fellowship with Christ and his Father is available to everyone who believes in the only Son of God. This invitation has no limits. It reaches to every nation, tribe, and tongue. John wants us to invite all into this fellowship. He wants us to proclaim the gospel to all people, inviting them into this fellowship in response to the joy that we have in Christ. John loves this community and is writing writing these things, this letter, so we would take part in this joy And that we would be moved to spreading Christ's glory to the ends of the earth. He doesn't want us to hoard this truth. This love and joy that we have in Christ. We ought to imitate John and spread this joy and this fellowship to the ends of the earth. He begins this letter with Christ. And throughout this letter, keeps Christ at the center of our attention. And he continues to proclaim Christ as our ultimate end. I'm super excited to study the rest of this gospel-saturated, Christ-saturated letter with you all. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would keep Christ at the center of our focus. I pray, Lord, that we would truly enjoy you and what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak life into us, Lord.
encourage us, Lord, build us up. That way we may spread your glory. I pray that we would invite all into this fellowship out of the joy that you have given us in your Son. In your name I pray. Amen.